And we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 this morning. If you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, Mark chapter 5, we're going to take all of our, um, all of our points right out of Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible or if you prefer, as always, the scriptures are going to be right up here on the screens. Now, just before we get started, I'm going to remind the tech team to please change that clock to my time. So, okay, because I know though that I have more than minus a minute to speak. Hey, uh, I read this story about a pastor who called his church to a time of prayer, and he asked them to pray that a, a, a very notorious bar that was close to the church would be shut down. So the people came together and they began to pray. And about three weeks later, lightning actually struck that building and it burned to the ground. Now, uh, made the church happy, but didn't necessarily make the bar owner happy. And when he heard that the church had been praying to shut him down, he sued them. And when they went to court and they were speaking to the judge, the bar owner was very, very adamant that the prayers of that church is what had caused that lightning strike and had burnt his business to the ground. So the judge looks over at the pastor and he says, well, what do you say about this? And the pastor said, it is true that we were praying. He said, but uh, your honor, we don't take any responsibility for the, the, the building burning down because nobody really expected anything to happen when we prayed anyway. The judge sat back and he laughed and he said, I cannot believe what I'm hearing in my court this morning. I have before me a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer. And a pastor who does not. Now, if we would be honest, there are times that we don't pray, or when we do pray, we don't have a whole lot of expectation. We don't want to laugh at that story and yet do the same thing. We are in a lesson series, as Kenny said, called Christian Atheists. We started it last week. It is, I believe in God, but I don't live like I do. This morning's message is, I believe in God, but I don't pray. And there's lots of reasons for not praying. You might think you're not good at it. When Lisa and I were first married, I know it it may be hard for some of you to believe out of this, this, this sweet, demure lady down here, but she is a tiger in prayer. And she has always been that way. And I used to be embarrassed to pray in front of her because she would just pray so fervently. She would just pray with such authority and she would pray the word. And, and then she'd look at me and she'd say, now you pray. And I'd go, uh, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for the food. And that's the way I felt with her. You know, if, if, if we got up in the morning and I said, man, I didn't sleep well last night. I was up, you know, just awake, just tossing and turning for an hour or two. And she'd look at me and she'd go, well, did you get up and pray? 
I thought, no. I was laying in the bed trying to go to sleep. God wants to talk to me. He can talk to me in the daytime. So I didn't feel like I was good at praying until I realized that God didn't care how good I was at praying. He didn't care what the words that were coming out. He just wanted to connect with me. Now, there's another reason sometimes we say we don't know what to pray. And to me, that one's, that one's easily fixed as well. Pray the word. Pray the word. If there's something going on in your life, you find a scripture that addresses that and you pray that. If you don't know a scripture, be glad that you live in the day and age that you are because you can go Google it. You can just say, uh, scriptures, Bible verses for fear. And Google will give them to you. And you just pray that. Lord, your word says this. But... Having been in ministry about 30 years now, what I've learned is that so many people don't pray or they give up on prayer because they've seen unanswered prayer. So this morning, I want to talk, I want to address unanswered prayer. I want to give you um, four ingredients Two answered prayer. Now, what I am not giving you is a check mark. If I do this, do this, do this, and do this, God's going to answer all my prayers. That's not what I'm saying. Because there are things in our lives sometimes that, that God needs to connect with us for our prayers to be answered. But what I have seen over the years is when I have seen answered prayer, it involved all four, all four of these ingredients. So I'm, that's what I'm going to give you this morning. You ready? Are you in Mark chapter 5? All right, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 22, says, Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. So here's the first ingredient. The first ingredient to answer prayer is position. Position, not earthly position. He had earthly position. It said that he was a leader of the synagogue. And what that would, would kind, kind of be today is he was on the city council, or he may have even been the mayor of the town. He was an important person. He had earthly position. But I'm not talking about earthly position. I'm talking about heavenly position. To have heavenly position, what we need to understand is that God didn't just save me to keep me from going to hell. He didn't save me just so I could be a servant or a slave. He saved me to be a son in the kingdom of God. And you, if you're in a love relationship with Jesus Christ... You are a son or a daughter in the kingdom of God. So when we go in prayer, we don't have to go as, as somebody that is not in relationship. We go as a son or a daughter. So we're praying from position. Position. In Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 5, it says, all praise to God, 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing. It didn't say some of the spiritual blessings. It didn't say a few of the spiritual blessings or just the ones that you're good enough to have. It says every spiritual blessing, does it not? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. God decided in advance to adopt us. Are you an us? Are you an us? Why do we, we read the Bible sometime and we always think it's for somebody else? I'm an us. I'm a part of this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Now, last week, the message was, I believe in God, but I don't believe that he loves me. If you didn't hear that one, you can go to the website, nctyler.org, and click the listen button. You can listen to that. Pastor Sam did a great job talking about God loving you. But sometimes we don't pray because we don't think God will listen to me because I'm not really sure he loves me. But in this scripture, it says it gave God great pleasure. Great pleasure to bring you into the kingdom. Great pleasure to make you a son or a daughter. You bring. Take this finger. Everybody take this finger. Stick it right in your chest. We're talking to you. And I want you to say, you, you give God great pleasure. No, no. Everybody went, you. You, say me. We're going to make this real. Me. Me Me gives. Me gives God great pleasure. Okay. Nobody said I had to have correct grammar while I was up here. Not only is it not about earthly position, but it is about a heavenly position. It's also about the position of our heart. A humble position that recognizes that in me, I can do nothing. Apart from God, I can do nothing. But through God, all those spiritual blessings are there. Okay? You got that? There, uh, we have to have that humble, that humble heart, that humble position. There was, I, I heard this story many, many years ago, and it had happened many, many years before there was a, a, a preacher, and this is in the, the 1950s. Um, and during that time, there were a lot of, of traveling evangelists that would go around, and they would put up these big tents that, that held thousands of people, and they would have these revival meetings that lasted for weeks. And there was this certain preacher who had gone into this certain town, and he had set up his tent, and they were getting ready to do meetings. And, and this preacher was known for people being healed when he prayed for them. And just before the, the first service, a big black Cadillac pulled up, and the, the driver jumped out, and he ran in under the tent, and he found the preacher, and he said, the mayor of the city would like to speak with you. 
So he went out, and the mayor was sitting in the back seat of the car. He rolled the window down, and the mayor said, I hear that when you pray for people, people get healed. And the man said, well, yes, people have been healed when, when we've prayed for them. And he said, my wife is in the hospital, and she has cancer. Get in the car. We're going to go pray for her. And the man said, well, if, if you would like for me to pray for her, you need to bring her here. And the mayor said, I can't bring her here. What if somebody saw us? What if somebody saw What if somebody from my city saw me underneath this tent with all you crazy people? He said, I'm not doing that. And he said, well, sir, if you will bring her, I will pray for her. And he got mad, and they drove off. Several days later, just before the service was about to start, here comes the Cadillac again. Out jumps the driver. He runs in and tells the preacher, um, the mayor of the city is here, and he would like to speak with you. So he walked out again. Mayor rolls down the window, and now sitting next to him is his wife, and she is obviously ill. And the mayor said, okay. He said, I brought her here. Now pray for her. And the preacher said, well, uh, I need you to come into the service because I like to, for people to, to hear the word because the word stirs up faith inside of them. So when we're praying for healing, Faith is already alive inside of them. So I need you to come sit through the service. Then I will pray for her at the end of the service. And the, the mayor said, I can't come in there. What if somebody sees me? And he got mad and he left. Several more days go by. And this time the black Cadillac pulls up. And an ambulance is pulling up behind it. His wife has taken a, a turn for the worse. They don't expect her to live for just a couple of more days. And the only way that uh, he could get her out of the hospital now was to agree to allow her to come in, in the ambulance. So the ambulance workers took her out, and she's on the gurney, and they're rolling her down the aisles underneath this tent, and here comes the, the mayor with his hat in his hand and his head down. He's all ashamed that he's hanging out with all these crazy people. And just exactly what he thought was going to happen, happened. People started pointing, going, isn't that the mayor? Isn't that the mayor? Isn't that? And he could hear this. Isn't that the mayor? And he's just embarrassed. They wheel his wife down and put her up close to the, to the stage. And the mayor sits in a chair that's not far from her. And for the first time in his life, he heard the gospel preached. For the first time in his life, he heard that Jesus loved him. For the first time in his life, he heard not just some, some, uh, a hymn or two. He actually heard about Jesus. And in the middle of this preacher preaching, this, this mayor who had been too full of himself to come underneath the tent, in his nice expensive suit, he falls down in the dirt underneath that tent, and he begins to cry out. And he's not just going, God, save me, God, save me. He is screaming out, God, I need you, I need you, I need you. He's, he, he is calling out to God so loudly for salvation that the preacher hears him and stops. And now everybody under the tent knows that the mayor is on his face calling out to God. After a while, they just, they just let him go. After a while, his prayer shifted, and he started crying out for his wife. 
And his wife, who had not had enough strength to even sit up, set up on that gurney, jumped off, and began to walk around going, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And the preacher looked at the mayor. He said, because you humbled your heart, because you humbled your heart, God was able to do this miracle. So it is about position when we are praying. Knowing our heavenly position and operating in humility positions us to receive from God. Back to Mark. Mark 5, verse 23 and 24 says, Pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. So here's the second ingredient. The first ingredient was was position. The second ingredient is attitude. Jairus had an attitude of fervent desperation. Pleading fervently, it says, with him. And this is not a, a, a desperation born out of fear. This is a desperation that knows that there is no other way but Jesus. Jairus knew that if Jesus was present, his daughter wouldn't die. So the question comes, will we pray fervently? Will we pray with a fervent desperation for our families, for our needs? James 5.16, starting at the second part of the verse there, it says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Other translation says the fervent or the effectual prayer of a righteous person. And if you're sitting here going, well, that sounds good. One of these days I'll get righteous and I'll pray fervent prayers. Let me just tell you, the moment that you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he makes you righteous. It's not something that we obtain. The Bible tells us that we are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Righteousness simply means right standing. I have the right to stand before God. Hebrews tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace and receive what we need. And that boldness is not an arrogant boldness. It's a boldness knowing that I have right standing with God, that I'm welcomed in here because I'm in the family. This is either horrible or shocking because y'all surely are quiet. (laughs) You don't have to clap. Okay, so what does earnest, fervent, desperate prayer look like? Galatians 4.19. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I am going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your life. I may look pregnant, but I have never been in labor. (laughs) But you know what? I have been in the delivery room when my daughters were born. And I saw what labor looked like. And I felt her squeezing my hand so tight that I was about to cry, but I wasn't going to say anything because I figured hers was worse. (laughs) 
But there is something about being in labor. There's a desperation to birth. There's a desperation to bring forth life. You want to know what fervent prayer looks like? It's birthing. When Paul said, I'm in labor again, what he's saying is, I'm pushing for life. Fervently pushing for life. Now, it's not just about how loud you get or how much you can grunt and groan. It's about the fervency of your heart to push and see the prayers, the things that you need done in your life and in your family's life. So just like a woman in labor is desperate to give birth, so should our prayers be giving birth and producing life. When we have an attitude of fervent desperation, we can trust that Jesus is on his way. All right, back in Mark. Mark 25 says, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, If I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of a terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out for him, gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? So here's the third ingredient patience. Patience. Being patient when somebody else's prayer is being answered before yours. When you've been praying for something longer than somebody else, but their prayer got answered first. And if we don't operate in patience, this can be a fertile ground for the enemy to come along and say, well, see, God loves them more. God loves them more. They must be just, you know, they just must be God's favorite. God answered them, but he hasn't answered you yet. But patience understands it's not always about me. I happen to be my favorite subject to pray about. I like to pray about me. I like to pray for me. But can we honestly be excited for others while we still have unanswered prayers? Can we be, can we be patient when God says, no, we're not yet? Sometimes God has to work on us first. Because often we pray for things that we think will make us happy, right? But I hate to tell you, no, I don't hate to tell you. I'm going to tell you. God is not as interested in your happiness as he is in your holiness. See, we pray prayers sometimes like, I need a man. I need a woman. The problem is you know you're a mess. Why would you want to bring somebody else into that? <laughs> Let God work on you. Let God heal you up. Let God build character in you. James 4, 2, second half of the verse there, says we don't have what we want because we don't ask God for it. 
And even when we ask, we don't get it because our motives are all wrong. You want only what gives you pleasure. And sometimes God has got to refocus us and show us what's really going on. Uh, several years ago, there was a, a real possibility of me going to be the uh, lead pastor of another church. Um, they had reached out and asked Pastor Sam about me, and Sam had given me a, a, a glowing review, and they asked me to go through this process with them, and they called me on the phone, and we did an interview, and I knocked it out of the park. You know that. Uh, <laughs> Well, we were moving along here, and I'm going to tell you, I wanted it. I wanted it really, really, really bad. Why would I want it so bad? I was 45 years old, and I was a youth pastor. I had been faithful. I had, I had given a business away to go into ministry. I had given up uh, salary to go into ministry full time. I had been faithful. And God himself had told me, your time as a youth pastor is over. So, and this popped up right about that time. Well, this has got to be God. This has got to be God. And I wanted, I wanted it, I wanted it, I wanted it, I wanted it. And I'd pray about it, and I'd tell God I wanted it. And I'd claim it in Jesus' name. <laughs> but the thing is, the, the further I went down the interview process with them, and, and to be honest, it was down between me and another guy. And they had invited me to come over. Uh, the church was about an hour away from here. They invited me to come over and, and meet the staff and meet the board and preach in the church. And uh, I wanted it. Man, I wanted it. But when I would pray about it, there'd be just something kind of scratchy on the inside. And I'd go, Lord, I'm not listening to you right now. I want this. I deserve this. But that scratchiness wouldn't go away. So finally, I was like, Lord, what's going on? What's going on? Do you not want me to have this? And he said, no, it's not that I don't want you to have this. And then there was just silence. <laughs> I went, what is it, Lord? And I found myself praying this prayer that had to be inspired by God because I'm not smart enough to think it up myself. I just said, Lord, what's best for the kingdom? And the Lord said, no, that's a different subject. He said, it's best for the kingdom for you to stay. I don't want to stay. And it's not that I don't love New Covenant Church. I just wanted to be in charge. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I stayed. And I went in to tell Pastor Sam that, yeah, I believe the Lord's spoken to me. And he said, stay. And that very day, Sam said, Good. That's what I was praying. So you selfish. <laughs> no, he said, I wanted you to stay because I want you to be the next lead pastor of this church. So if I had left, y'all wouldn't have me. So you're welcome. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> When we're patient in prayer, God gives us the opportunity to work on us. All right, here's our last point. Mark 5, 
Verse 35. While he was still speaking, now this is Jesus. While Jesus was still speaking to her, the woman with the issue of blood, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter's dead. Jairus, there's no use troubling the teacher anymore. And Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Don't be afraid, just have faith. So here's ingredient number four, faith. Faith. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not crossing our fingers. Faith is not even hope. Hope is good. We need hope. But when position, attitude, and patience is already mixed in, it allows us to operate in faith instead of presumption. When things look dark... Our emotions will try to overwhelm us. But faith enables us to look past the circumstance and believe God. Jairus was told that his daughter was dead. But Jesus said, hold on to faith. Hold on to faith. Hold on to faith. Sometimes in our lives, it seems like things are dead. Maybe you had dreams for something. You, there may have been prophecies that went out over you years and years ago, and it just seems like they're dead. It may seem like relationships are dead. It may seem like Everything we ever wanted, Lord, it just seems dead. But in that moment, the Lord says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear has torment. That's what 1 John tells us. Fear has torment. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Just have faith. Just have faith. It's easy to say have faith. Sometimes it's tough to live in it, though. And I'm going to be honest. As Westerners, Americans, I would say Americans, but I know everybody in here is not not American or not originally from America. (laughs) We have so many things provided for us just in the natural. You know, I've been in Africa where if God didn't heal that baby, that baby was going to be dead in the next couple of days. Because they didn't have doctors. They didn't have hospitals. They didn't have antibiotics. But we live in a place, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with with where we live. But so much is provided for us. Sometimes we don't even know what it means to live by faith. Because faith is like a muscle. It's got to be used. I know you can't tell looking at me right now, but there was a day when I used to lift a lot of weights. How do you think I got that beautiful thing? But you know, when I first started lifting, I didn't get under the bench press and bench over 300 pounds. It took time. It took work. It took building of the muscle to get to that place. And unfortunately... 
We, we, we live in a society where, where we don't have to believe for a whole lot of things until it's absolutely desperate, and now we're suddenly trying to bench 300 pounds. And then we say, God, you didn't answer my prayer. God, why is this so hard? When the, the truth is, God's giving us opportunities as we go along to build that muscle of faith, to believe Him, to trust Him, to build trust in God. So when the big thing does show up, you've already been working out. You've already been training. You've already been building up. Because guess what? Even Jesus said, in this life, there's going to be stuff. There's going to be stuff. But he said, don't worry about the stuff because I've overcome the stuff. Jesus has already won victory for us. Now it takes faith when it doesn't look like it. It takes faith when you know that, that, that your grandfather, who was a preacher, died of disease. Your father, who was a preacher, died of disease. And now I'm laying in a hospital bed and they're telling me I'm dying. To be able to, to look past those things and say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. Even get to the place, as, as James chapter 1 says, that we count it all joy. Count it all joy. When there's, when there's troubles and trials. Now, how can we get to that place? Because our heart is so full, so full of faith. We're going, man, God, I'm just, I can't wait to see what you do with this one. That's awesome. Oh, oh, this isn't going to work in your life. Oh, oh, things are falling apart. Your kids are acting like they're crazy. Well, God, I just can't wait to see how you're going to do this. That's awesome. I know you're going to because you did this, you did this, you did this, and you did this. That's the God we serve. That's the God that we serve. When we pray in faith, we're connecting with the God of the impossible. In 1881, a man named Louis Motier, that's about as good a French as you're going to get out of me, he wrote a book. It's called The Kingdom of the Air. And in his book, he encouraged the world to repent of their belief in the impossibility of human flight. He said repent. It's really kind of cool. They need to repent. They need to think differently in their belief in the impossibility of human flight. In 1899, a man got a hold of this book a man that owned a bicycle shop in Ohio. I know, those bicycle shops, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> and he read the book, and he gave it to his brother. Four years later, Orville and Wilbur Wright, inspired by what they had read in the book, repented of the impossibility of human flight. They went against natural thinking. They pushed back against even the law of gravity to see the first manned flight happen. 
So what impossibilities do we need to repent of? Where do we need faith to show us that impossibility can only be a temporary illusion? What do I want you to know? A humble position and an attitude of fervent desperation will produce a patient faith that will defy impossibilities as we pray. What do I want you to feel? I want you to feel boldness as you pray, knowing that you are a son or a daughter in the kingdom of God. I want you to feel empowered by the Holy Spirit to pray. Because when you come into a love relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is poured into you. I want you to feel confident that when you pray, that your prayers will be answered. What do I want you to do? Let's repent of the belief in impossibilities. If it's impossible, let God tell us it's impossible. Don't let other people tell you it's impossible. Don't let the world tell you it's impossible. If God's going, no, it's just not going to happen, let God himself tell me that. And until that moment, I serve the God of impossibilities. Let's humble ourselves and begin to pray. And let's develop an attitude of fervent desperation to pray like the world is depending on us. Will you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for being the God that overcomes impossibilities. Lord, where it seems the darkest, where it seems the darkest, Lord, I thank you that your light shines brightest. Lord, I thank you that where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. Lord, we could go through so many scriptures that says doesn't matter what, what it looks like, doesn't matter what the enemy is doing, Lord, that you overcome. Lord, you're greater than our fears. You're greater than our doubts. Lord, sometimes we need to be like the, the father of the boy that Jesus was, was uh, praying for. When he said uh, that all things are possible to them who believe. And that father said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, we want to believe you that those places that have seemed dead can come back to life. Lord, those dreams that you put in our heart, those desires that you put in our heart, those callings that you put in our heart. You've not changed your mind. So Lord, we want to be those people, those people, those people, those people. Lord, I ask that in these places of impossibility, Lord, that you just begin to, to flood your grace on us. Lord, that you just begin to stir us in our inner person. 
that faith would come alive again. It may have seemed like it's been, been down and dead, but Lord, faith can come alive in us again to believe you for the things that you've promised. Lord, whether it be physical, whether it be uh, natural, whether it be relational, Lord, we're believing you for miracles because you are the God of miracles. You are a God of miracles.